Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brent. In this episode, we're discussing SST-61. Ryan, 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 Ryan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That don't move me. Let's get real, real <laughs> gone for a change. Nice one, Brent. It is. It's the Gone <laughs> album. Let's get real, real gone for a change. Really excited to talk about this one. And Brent, we have got an amazing special guest. Yeah, Sim Kane is on the podcast today. Yeah, Sim Kane, a, a big thrill for both of us. You and I have kind of gushed about Rollins Band in the past. The thing that always comes to my mind is when I was a kid, I bought this Rollins Band bootleg. It's like a double LP. Rollins is going full Rollins. He's like calling out guys in the crowd who are being too rough. He's going, hey, Mr. Personality and all this kind of stuff. But there's one point where he's just going, oh, yeah, Sim Kane. And Sim <laughs> goes into like this massive, massive, like just drum break. And uh, yeah, so it's it's a huge thrill. And yeah. I mean, it's Sim Kane. What else can you say except maybe uh, get to some spiels? Yeah. Well, I have a few here for you, Ryan. I finished that Bob Mare book, Trouble Boys, about the replacements. I think I told you I, I had bought the audiobook of it and kind of just been really slowly getting my way through it. It's really good. And uh, the audiobook's quite good, too. I have a question for you, though. So the last, you're, you're like a, you know, the replacements are, are one of your your favorite bands. The last kind of chapter, I guess, of the book uh, talks about a lot about what the band members did after the replacements, but it's it's quite lengthy and detailed, which is always good to see because usually that stuff is really glossed over. And I've been listening to some of that stuff. Like I listened to Slim Dunlap and some like... Uh, oh, those two records are good. Yep. And I listened to... Today I listened to The Perfect album once twice three times a maybe yeah i also learned a few things that i didn't know like i didn't know bob stinson played with sonny vincent which is really cool because i really like sonny vincent so my question to you ryan is give me like three post replacements albums and they can't all be paul westerberg oh, you can they... only pick one paul westerberg <laughs> what like uh my three favorites to listen to yeah Okay, Bash and Pop, Friday Night is Killing Me, yeah. Stone Cold Classic. Did you buy 100%. the Did you buy the one that came out last year with the bonus disc of demos? Yes. And should I buy it? And because I have the original and, CD. Oh yeah, no, you got to buy it with the bonus disc. It's great. They're they're raw. You can, uh, and he's he's got a really killer band at that point too. Okay. So, yeah, no, it's good. It's good. You know, it's too bad that the Bob Stinson stuff after the replacements is really undocumented. I mean, he played in static taxi, which has one or maybe even two records. It's not the greatest. You mentioned slim Dunlap though. Um, I would, I think, I think it's legit for me to say this because both of his albums were re-released as a double LP and both of his albums are good. So I'm going to recommend the slim Dunlap double LP that was re-released recently as pick number two. Oh, I didn't know that. I really like both of those albums. Very stonesy, which I'm always a sucker for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's awesome. He played, like, he was a huge player 
in Minneapolis back then. He was like the janitor at the First Street Entry, and he played with a bunch of Minneapolis guys like Curtis A. and yeah. all sorts of stuff way, way before he was in the replacements. Like, they just, you know, I mean, you read the story about how they hired him. They just yeah. were like, well, let's get that guy. He gets his due in this book, um, He really does. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, and sorry, am I allowed to pick a Paul Westerberg? No, no, you have to. I should say you have to pick a Paul Westerberg for sure. Okay. I would go with the Paul Westerberg record Stereo Mono, which is Ah, a double. I knew it. Yeah. That's probably my favorite one. I like his early stuff, like when pretty slick major label stuff, his first couple of records, first few, I think, are good. But when he started to get really raw again, I really like that stuff, and Stereo Mono is where it's at, man. Okay, good. I have another question for you, Ryan. You and I, a couple weeks... Wait, wait, wait. Are you going to ask me if if Hootenanny's a good album again? <laughs> no, we've already established that it isn't. Um, no, what I was going to ask you is... <laughs> <laughs> you and I saw the band Earthless together a couple weeks ago. What'd you think of Earthless? Yeah, you know what? I was actually going to ask you that at one of my spiels. So, really good band. Liked seeing them. Probably a bit too much soloing for my taste, but it was really cool to see them, and the light show was cool. You probably uh, remember a bit more detail about that than I do. But you know, just a little bit too much soloing, and I thought their vinyl was a little too expensive at the merch booth, man. Yeah, it was a little pricey. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I love the guitar solo. I love guitar soloing period, but it has to have a point. For me, like their newest album has some vocals on it, and that was a good idea, I think, because they threw a couple of those songs in and it really breaks up the set. And the light show, I'm, you know, I usually, unless I'm, you know, going to see Guar or something like that, the, the, the stage show is maybe secondary to me and sometimes pretty irrelevant, but it really helps with, with a band like Earthless. And uh, if people haven't seen it, you should check it out on YouTube. It's called, I think they were called the Mad Alchemy Light Show. And it's like a liquid light show, which is really cool. Because it's, you know, a nod to a bygone era, I would say. Yeah, straight out of the 60s, right? Yeah. All right, what do you have for spiels, Ryan? I wanted to mention just, I guess, one other thing since you scooped me on Earthless. But I'm super pumped because I'm going to go see this band ignite which is coming through and if you don't know ignite they're like a orange county hardcore band and they've been around since like the early 90s and i are they like a victory records thing kind of when they first started out they were definitely associated with that scene a little a little macho a little straight edge kind of association they they're not like that anymore they're actually pretty slick now but they're very political and Mm. they're they're uh, really really good songwriters I, I don't know well i've liked them since like the early 90s and i've had tickets to their shows twice before and they've canceled you know what it's like living in canada when yeah. a band cancels it happens all the time it looks like this one's gonna go so i'm pumped to see them third time's the charm man third time's the charm and still a little hardcore actually but i'll be standing way in the back for sure you're not gonna go in the pit no no way have you seen that shirt it's like still punk but i stand way in the back yeah something like that yeah that's me totally at this show i'm 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 gonna be the same age as the guys on stage and everyone else is gonna be you know 20 years younger than me well maybe not maybe not um i had one other thing 
to uh, mention, actually, now that I remember it, and it's a bit of a teaser for when we get into the album. Do you remember one or two? I think it was during the Evol episode, uh, that Sonic Youth record, you were mentioning the Xeno Records website. You know, you and I yep. are both pretty big Wipers fans. Yep. And Has it been updated, Ryan? How... <laughs> I don't know. No. I have... I've. I honestly haven't been there for like years and I, I but I went there to see if the pick slide is still on. <laughs> and uh no more pick slide when you enter God the website. Damn it. Yeah. But hold that thought, pick slide. Wait for it near the end of this episode. Okay. Anyways, I'm about ready to get into uh wait, wait. Tell me what I'm supposed to get into here again, Brent. Ryan. That don't move me. Let's get real, real gone for a change. There we go. History lesson, part one. Ryan, I am going to start you off by reading something from Joe Carducci's amazing book, Rock and the Pop Narcotic. Are you ready? Woo. Here's what, he, so ready. here's what he says about gone. If you have Greg Ginn on guitar, you're not exactly going to get long odds, but it's best to put a little money on it anyway, like 798. And when you have a rhythm section joined at the hip like Simeon Kane on drums and Andrew Weiss on bass to fuel the Genovations, well then, chump, the fix is in. The payoff is a dense... <laughs> <laughs> the payoff is a dense... A dense instrumental thicket where thought materializes as music. And as hard as you listen is as hard as you rock. The three albums are a bit stiffer than the live in-your-face version was, but they'll do you fine. Watch for the eventual video release of Dave Markey's documentary film of the final 1986 Black Flag Tour, Reality 86th, wherein Gone is caught live in concert on a, on a sidewalk outside a record store, picking apart their song structures in full mid-tour confidence. The Ginnovations, Ryan. I love that. love the Ginnovations. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought Andrew Weiss played Bassosaurus. He does. Not just yeah. bass. He does. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Okay, so here's some stuff I found from uh, uh, Dave Markey. Uh, I believe this was from his website. I can't remember where I got this originally. To me, the writing was on the wall from the get-go. This would be Black Flag's last waltz. Uh, he's talking about the 86 tour. I was under the impression Ginn decided to pull the plug on the band before this tour started. He seemed more excited about playing and gone. The original plan was in fact to have painted Willie back Ginn as gone. I do recall us practicing in this incarnation. Thankfully, gone came together right quick before the start of the tour with the talents of Trenton, New Jersey's finest rhythm section, Sim Kane and Andrew Weiss. Did you know that painted Willie was originally going to back up Greg Ginn as gone. I did not. I don't, I mean, maybe we mentioned that during the Painted Willie episode, uh, but I, I don't remember that. Here's what he says about it in the Spray Paint the Walls book. Greg wanted us to be gone. He wanted us to play the first set with him and then come out and play our set, as in Painted Willie, before Black Flag played. Then he found Sim and Andrew, and I was pretty happy about that because I didn't really want to be Greg's backing band. But we played with him, we wrote some songs together. So, very interesting. Some of these songs may have been written uh, while getting jammed with the Painted Willie dudes. Yeah, some of these Gone songs might be 
have originated while someone was getting their willy painted, I guess. Could have happened. Here's a quote I like from Stevie Chick in that book as well, Spray Paint the Walls. To catch sight of Gin caught in the ecstatic reverie of a Gone concert, rocking out full pelt with his eyes closed, his head shaking, his shoulder-length hair all bedraggled across his face, lost in another wild, feral solo, was to understand that, more than ever, pleasing Black Flag fans was not on his agenda. Yeah, you got to give it to Greg, right? Like, he totally never, ever cared what anyone thought about what he wanted to play. Like, never. No. That's pretty commendable. Yeah. So we're going to get to the interview with Sim right away here, but I... I do ask them about a few ask them about a few bands that I'll just give a quick spiel on. Regressive Aid was a band that he was in with Andrew Weiss and a guy named uh, William Tucker or E. William Tucker sometimes. They had a couple albums, one called Effects on Exposed People in 1983 and then a 7-inch that came out before that in 81 called Why Settle for Less When You Can Regress. You'll hear Sim talk about it a little bit. Sounds like they had a pretty strong following, which I'm I'm really happy to hear because it's really great stuff and a little challenging for the time that it came out, especially considering, you know, they played to punk audiences. Yeah, isn't it funny how every now and then we're, we're, we're mentioning, like, the way that Black Flag was progressing, you know, the comment about how Greg Ginn was not trying to please anyone, and we hear like your comment about how it was really challenging, especially to punk audiences, when punk was supposed to be do whatever you want, everything is accepted, you don't need to conform to the code, you don't need to sound, every Black Flag album is not supposed to sound like damaged yeah. or whatever, right? Interesting. Yeah, well, it, I, I mean, it's as, as I'm sure we've mentioned many times, or our guests have, at a certain point... Hardcore in particular became really homogenized, you know? Yeah. Uh, but this is really great stuff. I don't know if you've ever heard Regressive Aid, Ryan, but it's it doesn't sound dis- dissimilar to Gone. It's way more per- uh, percussive, but it's really good stuff. Hmm. I'm going to check it out. I've never heard them before. In fact, I didn't really know about that band or some of the other ones you could have mentioned until I listened to the interview. That's why it's so cool. Yeah. Scornflakes is another thing. They So they kind of evolved into that band, I suppose. I can't remember. I, I know I asked him about it, and so you'll hear that right away too. But it's basically the same three guys, and then they, they added a, a singer who just is credited on the LP as Boy White. The album is recorded live at uh, City Gardens in New Jersey and CBGB's, and it was released in 1986. And uh, I think Sim kind of compares them to Flipper, which is not, you know, he's not wrong about that. So... That's cool and worth checking out as well, but not for me, not as good as Regressive Aid. Yeah, I think he recalls them like improvisational flipper yeah. type sounding. Yeah. E. William Tucker went on to play with Ministry on the Mind is a Terrible Thing to Taste tour, and he kind of seemed to revolve around that kind of scene a little bit. Like he played with Pig Face, Fetus, Revolting, uh, Revolting Cox, all three of the guys, Andrew, supposedly. Andrew and Sim as well played in Pig Face, which I think was kind of a Al Jorgensen fuck band almost. Don't quote me on that because I'm I'm really not up on Pig Face. I've got their record. There's like a, I think there's a song that like Dave Yao sings on, for example. Oh yeah, is it a, like a Wax Tracks thing or? Oh man, I can't remember. It's been a while. Yeah, I gotta dig it out. 
E. William Tucker also taught Dean Ween how to play guitar. There's a, a, a strong Ween connection with, with these guys, and uh, Ween is from New Jersey, I believe, as well. Uh, Andrew, of course, Andrew and Sim went on to play in the Rollins Band. Andrew now owns a studio in New Jersey called Zion House of Flesh. Last I checked, he still played in the Guantanamo School of Medicine. I'm not sure what they're up to these days. They seem to put out a record every four years or something. It's been a while. They put out two full lengths and an EP, I think, in pretty you know rapid succession, but it's been a while. He also had uh, the wartime collaboration with Rollins, the uh, sampled industrial almost rap kind of thing came out in 1990 fast food for thought so there you go why don't we let the man himself kind of pick up the story here ryan sim kane history lesson part two so we're talking to sim kane today sim thanks for being on the podcast it's my pleasure so you grew up in trenton new jersey is that right uh i grew up in the trenton area princeton and trenton yep okay and how did you get into playing drums? Uh, well, I mean, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, the urge to play drums goes back as pretty much my entire life. Um, I really wanted to play drums, and I got a little, a little kid on my sixth birthday. So uh, uh, I, can't even, I can't say what gave me the urge, but I can tell you this. Um, both of my grandfathers were drummers. Yeah, I was going to ask and if then, you came from a musical family. Uh, I do, although I only I didn't I didn't meet my father's father, and my two grandfathers never met. They just happened to both be drummers. Okay. And then uh, my great granddad on my mother's side was also a drummer. Okay. And I don't know; it could go back further than that, but perhaps it was in my DNA. Who knows? Yeah. No, uh, like, you know, uh, musical epiphanies or anything like that that. Really well, made you certainly want... seeing seeing Buddy Rich on uh, on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson was a was a revelation. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> and and what but, kind uh, of what kind of music were you into? Uh, were you like a jazz? Were you into jazz when you yeah. were younger? I was I was really into jazz when I was a, uh, in my teens. Um, jazz and then you know like fusion and stuff like that. And then I. During high school, everything got thrown in the melting pot, and so I was starting to get into the, you know, into the punk rock thing and the just rock and roll in general. Yeah, and I guess what we called uh, new wave back then, you know, all that kind of stuff. That was having its moment. So, uh, did you take drum uh, lessons? I did not take many lessons when I was a kid, but you know, the school system that I grew up in had a really strong music department and a great lineage of really good drummers who were older than me so there was a lot of knowledge passed down from my senior drummers when i was in school and then when i was in high school we had a stage band like a you know a jazz big band in fact um the uh the movie whiplash is based on my high school band director oh cool. <laughs> that's very cool he never threw any he never threw any symbols at me but uh he could be tough <laughs> now now outside anyway. of school band uh what was your first kind of band uh you know it was uh, me and andrew actually from gone because we grew up we went to high school together and okay. we both played in school band and then he and i would um <clears throat> spend a lot of days after school playing in his basement and um and we recruited a 
a guitarist friend of ours when we were in high school, you know, just to play parties and stuff like that. And that band was called Throbbing Manhood. Okay. And uh, <laughs> and we did like these sort of quirky, progressive rock instrumentals that we would write, and then you know intersperse them with like Ramones and Sex Pistols and Devo covers <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> this is obviously the early days of punk, but like before you know hardcore and stuff like that, maybe. Yeah, you know, I have to admit, I never became a huge hardcore fan, but um, uh, it is the seeds have gone in a lot of ways because you know uh, that was a you know a large the music that we wrote was pretty much instrumental guitar music, and then Andrew and I after that we started a band called Regressive Aid uh, with a guitarist named William Tucker, uh, who's no longer on this plane with us, but he uh, he went on to play with the Ministry and right. Um, I think Revolting Cox and you know a lot of the Chicago wax track scene. He was really a marvelously inventive guitar player. So that it's those record is that record that um, Gin heard and wanted to do a trio with Andrew and I. I was going to ask if he, is he if he saw Regressive Aid play or if he had just heard the record. You know what had happened was that uh, Black Flag was looking for a new bass player after Kira left, and um, a friend of ours here who was a booking agent. And uh, ran, you know, ran a club. He contacted Andrew, and Andrew sent uh, Greg the Regressive Aid record and uh, the Scornflakes record, which is kind of like an improvisational flipper. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and so Greg called him back, and Andrew actually initially went out to audition for Black Flag. As things uh, went, they they got Sal instead, but then. Greg called Andrew and asked if I would be interested, you know, if Andrew and I would be interested in starting a separate band with him that would tour on the 86 tour. Uh, going back to Regressive Aid for a minute, mm -hmm. what what scene were you guys in? Like, did you play with punk bands or were you were you playing with like jazz fusion bands? Where did you fit no, in? No, it was like, like punk bands and noise bands, no wave bands. Okay. Like, uh, there was, there was a local club here in Trenton called City Gardens, and we were definitely part of that scene. And then, uh, you know, we'd go up and play CBGBs, and CBGBs was kind of more of a scene we were Well, I wouldn't say more of a scene we were interested in. There was more established scenes going on up there. We liked, you know, bands like Ism and Sonic Youth and the Swans and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, even though at times... Regressive eight may sound a little fusiony. We sort of avoided the trappings of you know there was no epic solos or anything like that. Right. <laughs> it wasn't what there was wasn't about like showcasing the individual players, but uh, we had a devout following of people who just just loved to dance. And so you know we had our sort of our little army of regressive eight regressors that would come see us playing. Right. And uh, we'd just do our thing. <laughs> Did you kind of morph into Scornflakes or? Or how did that happen? No. Uh, well, Regressive Aid was what we were putting all our energy behind. We made, we made a 7-inch and then an LP, and we were the record label, and we were, you know, promoting it and distributing it ourselves. Uh, and then Scornflakes was just something we just decided to do to let off some steam. So you know, we got a friend of ours to, to, uh, to sing, and since it was all improv, there wasn't a whole lot of prep time that went into it. So. Right. We would just, you know, get on some bills, i.e., opening up for Flipper, or playing with uh, Shockabilly. Okay. And um, 
And then it was, you know, that took off on its own and had its own popularity, which was kind of funny because, you know, we were like, man, we bust our asses for some aggressive age. <laughs> <laughs> People are calling up for cornflakes. <laughs> it was a good name, mind you. Yeah, it is a great name. <laughs> So when was Regressive Aid still a still uh, playing when you and Andrew no. left for to play with? Ron? No, we had already we already we broke up uh, in the middle of making our second record. Okay, um, for various internal conflict reasons, <clears throat> and so uh, Andrew and I actually hadn't played with each other in about a year or so by the time the Gone thing came up. So, but he and I immediately. Once we knew we were going to do that, we booked a rehearsal studio in town here in Trenton and started, you know, coming up with song song ideas for that. Okay, so there was no demos sent to you or anything like that. No, nothing had been done. The idea was that we would fly out to L.A. the beginning of the winter, uh, the beginning of December '85. Uh, we'd spend a month rehearsing, make a record, and then start the 86 tour on january 1st wow <laughs> i heard it was uh you know i think i read somewhere that it, the call came you know pretty close to the start of the tour i didn't realize it was that close yeah it was pretty close yep yeah and yep, so, we sort of dropped everything and headed out there yeah so you guys like moved to la you and andrew well we didn't really move to la um you know we went we, for the the month of December, we just stayed in some cheap motel. Right. Uh, and then we hit the road, and, you know, that 86 tour was seven months. And then, uh, and that's, you know, almost nightly playing. Yeah. And then Gone continued for another three months of that year. And I actually, I, I worked it out at one point because Gone would often play sets in record stores in the afternoon before we went and did our show. And I, I, figured out we played over 600 sets in 1986 alone. Wow. That's insane. I was literally playing some, my, I was looking at my bleeding hands with the glue from duct tape and, (laughs) and, and sweat pouring into the cracks. It was pretty painful. Yeah. It it seems like you did in stores, like on more often than not that you guys did in stores on that tour. Yeah. Every day we do, you know, one to three in stores. Wow. We were always playing. Yeah. And you had a separate kit for those in stores, is that right? Like a smaller one. Yeah, it was one? like this. It was like this foldaway kit called a Rins Isolation Kit or something. Okay. And uh, there were like um, pretension heads, sort of made the toms sound kind of like roto toms or something. Okay. And the whole thing would kind of kind of fold away into what looks like a about an eight inch deep cymbal case. Wow. And so when we were on the Black Flag tour, because primarily on the Black Flag tour. The opening acts, you know, were there to, to haul gear, and uh, the fact you got to play was your privilege. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we would load in the PA and all the gear into the club, and then you know scramble back into the van and drive to a, a record store, play that, and then go back and play the opening set of the of the evening on the Black Flag show. Right, but this wasn't, you know, I think there's a big difference between. Greg in messing around with, uh, you know, October faction and, and this, he, this was a, ser- a serious project for him. It seems. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And we worked really hard. You know, he made it clear, clear to us that, you know, it would be a lot of hard work and he had a pretty amazing work ethic. You know, he really nothing got in the way of 
putting in a lot of hours on your instrument. Yeah. So, uh, that was, a, you know, that was kind of eye-opening and uh, and at the time kind of inspiring, you know. Uh, you know, we, I thought we worked hard, but yeah. there was nothing that was going to stop this organization. I mean, yeah. you know, in terms of Black Flag or, or Gong, you know, those were some serious grinders. <laughs> was this like your <laughs> first serious tour? Had you done much touring yeah, before was, this? No, it was pretty much my first tour, yeah. That's I guess a... I was twenty. <laughs> was twenty twenty three at the time. I think I lost fifteen pounds, <laughs> and uh, you know, <laughs> you get your bottle of Perrier and five dollars for food, and that was it. <laughs> That's trial by fire for your first tour for sure. <laughs> yeah, you you were either in or out. Yeah. Uh, so you said you recorded this in December of the year that you when you when you were jamming we did, before yeah. the tour. Yep, we recorded it in, I don't know, two or three days right before we left, as far as I can remember. So had you and Andrew brought some of these ideas with you then? We had. Uh, you know, and, and um, Andrew and I brought a bunch of ideas, Greg had a bunch, and then we came up with a bunch, you know, as a trio. Um, I think ultimately Greg took all the writing credit for it, but that was probably out of uh, spite than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, look, he was spending all the money, so I don't blame him for... I mean, I don't hold a grudge with Greg over, over Don at all. Yep. And you recorded... And, you know, frankly, you know, I've spoken to people writing books about SST, and I realized I was a big bit of an anomaly because I wasn't, you know, like this big SST disciple. I had to do some homework to figure out who they were before I said yes to doing it in the first place. You know? Right. Uh, so, you know, I borrowed some albums and, and listened to them. So it wasn't like, you know, Miles Davis was calling me on the phone right. asking me to play, you know. <laughs> and to be perfectly frank, when I first heard TV Party, uh, I thought, wow, what a brilliantly funny and well-executed parody of a guitar solo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not sure that was the point <laughs> you know, there. <laughs> no, yeah, 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 I'm not sure either. But I was soon to find out. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and boy, he is you know a truly unique musician. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you recorded at Hit City West with Michael Boshears. What do, what do you recall about that? I'm assuming it was a typical SST recording session, like you know, 48 hours and bash it out. Yeah, kind of. I mean, we that was like. It was two days to get all the rhythm tracks done, and I believe Greg went back on his own and did some guitar overdubs, if I recall. Okay. Uh, I remember um, production-wise, it was a little confusing because we were using kind of two production aesthetics on the drums simultaneously, which is, you know, setting up a lot of deflective plywood and using a lot of room mics. Uh, however, we were also muting the drums as if you were close micing them, a la, you know, some like seventies concert uh, tom type right. thump, if you know what I mean. Does that make any sense? Yep. Uh, so, you know, that was the success on that level was uh, it was varying, and plus it was the era of power station and all that kind of shit. So we were we were using. Trying to make a you know that modern gated modern design yep. gated snare sounds, which yep. I think in retrospect was probably not such a great idea. Everyone was doing uh, it then, though. We just finished talking <laughs> talking about uh, the Minutemen's last album, Three Way Tie for Last, and the the drums sound very right. similar on that one. 
are you are you happy with with the sound of the album or do you do you have regrets i don't have any regrets about it i mean yeah. you know it is what it is yeah um it was interesting revisiting it because i really i hadn't listened to that record in years yeah and i kind of felt like at worst, it sounded like some incomplete songs. Song, uh, a couple songs that felt like they either were, were in need of a vocal or a melody. But in terms of you know, my my overall impression is that around song four or five, the record really gets going and then and establishes a, an aesthetic that I can that uh, I think is much more focused than the first few songs on the record. Yeah, in my opinion, I I, I think I agree with that. Um, I was actually quite—I was quite surprised how much I enjoyed revisiting it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just for people uh, who uh, didn't catch our before we went to to uh, record, you were telling me you'd you'd listen to it before we we recorded tonight. Yeah, yeah, I did. I I figured I owed you that one, <laughs> or maybe I owed myself. Yeah, maybe. I wanted, eh? <laughs> I wanted to sound like I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> Now, when you when you were out on the tour, what was the reaction? Were people were people into Gone? Uh, I, I, yeah, I guess so. They were some of them were probably a little confused, but I think the fact that Black Flag had recently made an instrumental record, uh, the process of weeding uh, of weeding out, yep. um, had sort of prepared Black Flag fans for something like it. So there wasn't any real animosity, other than the animosity that. Some people had for the whole tour because we had long hair instead of you right. know, spikes and mohawks. Right. That that really seemed to rankle people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it had been a few years of that by by that point for Black Flag, and people still weren't over a day. They were still worked up over it. Get a haircut, and skinheads are coming to beat us up. And blah blah blah. Yep. <sighs> really stupid. <laughs> now, what kind you of? Know, kid... and I just met all these people. You know. I just met them all, and I'm like, who's coming to beat us up? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> what do you mean, we? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what kind of kit was I using? Yeah, were you, was it a big kit? Were you, uh, like, were you lugging the, around, uh, you know, big rack toms and stuff? Or? No, the, the sizes, the sizes of, of the actual drums are fairly large. It was the Black Flag kit, so all three all three bands used the same kit on that tour. Oh, right, yeah. Um, uh, only I added three rototoms, two or three rototoms. Okay. Um, so I could have, you know, more toms. Right. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that was part of my job, was to keep that kit maintained for all three of us. Okay. All three of us drummers, that is, you know. At some point, there was a break in the '86 tour, and that's when you recorded the second Gone album. Is that, is that right? That that sounds right. I believe, yeah, there was a short break. I think, yeah, we went home. For, we uh, we recorded the second record. Then went home for a month or maybe three weeks, during which every single night I dreamt I was still on tour. <laughs> and then, uh, and then we got back to it. And then after. The whole Black Flag tour ended. I don't think we took a break. I think we just continued for another three months or something. And the second Gone album was recorded at Total Access. If you say so. That's what it says <laughs> on the liner notes. <laughs> well, that sounds right. 
<laughs> and I'm assuming much of that was written on the road. Uh, well, I mean, I, that's a good question. I think we came up. I think the bulk of the writing for both pretty much happened during the month of December in '85. Although we, you know, we had a, you know, we added on the way and you know, and continued to work on a few things we've been working on. All I remember is that there was. Uh, I did some percussion overdubs that Ken forgot about when he mixed the record. So oh, really? That's I remember, yeah, first listening, I was slightly disappointed. If I listened to it now, I'm sure I wouldn't remember what percussion I played and where. So, you know, in the long run, right. it really doesn't make a difference. This is on the second one you're talking about? Or both of them? Yeah, that was on the second one. Oh, okay. No, just the second one. There's some tracks also on Love Doll Superstar. I don't suppose you remember on the soundtrack. I don't suppose you remember what session those got recorded at. I do. They were recorded at um, Phil. Oh, it's Phil from Painted Willies. Or what? At the Spinhead Studio, I bet. Spinhead, correct. Yeah. Yes, that I do remember. Uh, and uh, my parts on that was all programming, I believe. I don't think I did any actual drumming. I, was, I think uh, I was just programming a uh, Lin machine. Oh, okay. But you programmed it. I did. Yeah. Yeah. There's... That was a lot of fun, though, actually. Yeah, very different sound to those. I, I I think Greg's playing that guitar synth that you can see him playing in the Reality 86 documentary. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that thing. <laughs> When's the last time you watched well, that you documentary? Know, Have you ever seen oh, it? Uh, some time ago. <laughs> I think I had to, since I happened to be in, like, practically the opening scene during my best you know, sound clever. I, I think I, uh, I cringed and stopped fairly, fairly soon thereafter. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know that movie is like. I like it as a period piece, but you know, culturally, the humor that's involved, and the age that we are, you, you know, it's a. It's of its time for it sure. Shows you, yeah, it's of its time, and it also shows you how how things have changed. Yeah, for sure. But. Uh, I, I admittedly, I watched it maybe a year or two ago because you know you could only catch it when it was up before it got taken down. Right. So yeah. You had limited access. Yeah. So you carried on for another three months after the tour. Right. Was there a, a plan for to keep to keep going, like a third album, or did the ba- did the band like break up, or did it just kind of fizzle out? How did that happen? I think it mostly fizzled. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think we were just kind of burnt because you know. We we just put the you know the pedal to the metal and not let up for that entire year. So yeah, uh, and I, you know, and I was pretty adamant that I didn't want to move to LA. That just wasn't my kind of place. So yeah, um, and then that was going to cause some some trouble. So I think we just kind of fizzled out basically. Okay, so you moved back to New Jersey. Yeah, we never we never actually moved to LA, but we just went home. Okay. And then, of course, famously, you get the call from Henry Rollins, and uh, surprisingly quickly, you're you're back on the road. I believe, like less than That's a year. That's true. Like the yeah, the following spring, Henry. We had already heard Henry's the first uh, Henry solo record, the, the Henrietta Collins thing. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that one, Hen- yeah. 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 Um, strangely enough, we had heard it. While Don had heard it, while uh, at a friend's place in New Mexico. Oh, okay. So, um, 
And then, you know, everybody kind of went home. We, uh, sometime after the holidays, I guess I got a call from Henry. Uh, I wanted to know if we'd be interested. So he came out in the spring of the following year, and we spent a month rehearsing in my basement. Uh, and then we hit the road with that. Never looked back. That's it. That's his history. <laughs> do you, can I ask, do you have a favorite Rollins Band album? Mm. Do you think about it that way? Probably not. I don't think most musicians do. I mean, in some ways, The End of Silence, I think, is the most definitive. You know, and then we changed bass players after that, and the next record, Wait, I think, is, uh, is uh, really good as an album. Yep. Um, probably those two, maybe the best. And then I'd probably have to, you know, find some live record or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think... But, you know, the, of course, the first one has its thing, man. I, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but most of Rollins' band fans fall into two camps. Yeah. Either the first one was great and the rest sucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or it didn't. <laughs> yeah. I would say most people probably fall into the... Uh, the end of silence wait era I, i'm that was probably when you gained the most you know uh the, had the biggest following i'm i'm guessing oh I, without it without a doubt i yeah. had the most notoriety yeah yeah but that was you know our major label signing so yeah. that was, that's the way that works yeah i think end of silence is a pretty powerful record so yeah it, it, go that. it is for sure so when i when i reached out to you to uh record you were on tour i'm, I'm wondering what are you I doing was. now uh, I'm playing in the Bean Wing group. Oh, okay. And this actually this makes it kind of draws a kind of nice circle. Uh, Mickey, aka Bean Wing. Yep. Um, I met when he was 15 and working in a uh, college radio station, uh, and had Gong come down to play on live on the air. Oh. So that's that's the first time I met him, and we went into this tiny room like the size of a small office with all of our gear <laughs> and set it up. And just recently, a month or two ago, he had, he found the recording uh, of us playing and then him interviewing Greg. And, um, Oh, wow. It'd be great uh, to hear it, that. Yeah. I'll, you know what? I'll see if I can, if I can get a copy to you. Oh, that would be I've, amazing. I only heard, I only heard a couple of songs, but the sound pressure levels of all that volume is in such a small space made it, make a really powerful sounding recording yeah. and added to that we were you know we were you know in full tour mode so we're playing very well oh yeah uh, and then <laughs> the other really charming thing about it is that mickey's voice hadn't broken yet so <laughs> 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 it's like hearing a, a lean chip yeah i was gonna say it again. sounds like a ween album probably <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah right <laughs> yeah it's pretty great yeah is that i i know andrew has had a connection to ween at, at some point. I would say he has probably a deeper connection to Wien than I do because he was, he's toured with him and he, he mixed a bunch of their records. Right. So how, how often do you do that? Period. How often are you on the road? Well, we've done three legs since the spring, uh, about two weeks apiece. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're just short little jumps, but uh, uh, the audiences have been fantastic and, the band is really solidified, and there was no clunkers in terms of gigs out of any of them. We're really enjoying playing each other. Right on. Any recording? Yeah, any recording happening? Well, he does a shitload of recording because uh, he's got his own studio. 
Uh, and there's, you know, a lot of different people that go out and do tracks for him, so you're never really sure whether you're going to be on the recording or not. But right. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess uh, on the second to last record, uh, I'm, I'm on a cut, but I don't think it's that no big deal. Oh, okay. All right, thanks a lot, Sim, for taking the time to talk to us today. It's really appreciated. Yeah, no problem. And if you got anything else, just let me know. Right on. So cool to have Sim on the show. It's commendable how you could you could even even talk to him. I think I would be a little starstruck, actually. That lineup with Sim Kane and Andrew Weiss is it'll kind of always be Rollins Band to me for sure. Me and too. Uh, uh, and and like. What a nice guy, too, right? Yeah, super nice and super accommodating. Should we talk about this album? Ryan, let's talk about the tracks. You want to do that? Do it. All right. So for me, the songs on this album are like obviously way more structured and less jammed than the flag instrumentals are, which I like. Yeah. I'm I'm going to be interested to hear what you think of these songs. I think that um, I'm curious to see whether you picked up on some of the same stuff that I did. So why don't you walk us through it? Okay. Uh, some of the stuff I didn't really write anything, but here's what I here's what I came up with. It'll be pretty quick. Side A, track one, Insidious Distraction. This one is featured in Reality 86. I don't know. It's a good opening track to me. I believe Sim says in the interview that the album doesn't really get cooking until like maybe the fourth or song or so, but I, I like this one. It starts off weird. It's a weird first couple of notes to an album, but then it picks up pretty quick funky right it's yeah. it's really funky with slap and pop bass and gin it's very gin-esque too like the uh, the guitar and he plays like one of kind of a classic gin atonal scale and yeah and sim is just working the ride symbol it's killer yeah uh track two get gone this one kind of andrew is credited for the sampling on this uh, not many people were sampling too much at this time and the sample is uh, obviously elvis presley from his i looked this up ryan and i was surprised how early this was 1954 he recorded this song melt cow blues boogie 54 and uh, it, it also came Ooh. it was really that's when it was released as a single it came out on his first lp a date with elvis in 1959 wow yeah. So I have a question for you then. So this song, it starts to remind me a bit of like early Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I'm curious whether you heard anything like that in this tune. Even Greg's guitar playing, man. Really? Huh. No, I didn't hear it. When I think of the Chili Peppers, I think more of a Hendrix-style guitar playing. But maybe that's just uh, the later stuff. You know, I'm quite I'm quite familiar with like the self-titled one and like Freaky Styley and Uplift Mofo Party Plan, and I I didn't make that connection, but I'll listen to it again with that in mind. Yeah, I'm curious. Look, even on this one and uh, another song on side two, like it doesn't even sound like Greg is playing with his usual distortion. It's like no, I definitely like white boy funk. I definitely noticed that that his tone is is different for sure. Yeah, well, let me know what you think. I'm curious because I know you know that era of Chili is kind of the same way that I do. Yeah, it's also got some pretty flat production on it throughout. Yeah, I totally agree. There's a couple of tracks like on the B-side where you can really hear like the gated drums and yeah. stuff like that. It's it's a little distracting. Yeah. The third track on side A, Peter Gone, probably my favorite uh, song title on the album. Obviously a, re a reference to Peter Gunn. 
because it is a little like surfy sounding almost and uh this yep. one i just thought of that iggy pop song repo man it kind of reminds me of that oh yeah yeah do you know what who uh composed peter gunn originally uh mancini henry mancini yeah yep. i'm glad you picked up that it's you know a play on peter gunn though because I'm still kind of reeling from how you didn't pick up on Slave Bird when we got to that song. Way back. <laughs> That's because you were wrong. <laughs> Whatever, man. Wait till we get to Lawndale Rock City. Yeah. We'll see who's wrong. Okay. Uh, this one's got a pretty unhinged Gin solo in it, in a good way. I guess I was kind of inspired by Joe Carducci and his, uh, what does he call him? Ginnovations. Because I came up with, with one of my own. <laughs> incinerate (laughs) (laughs) that's a good one you like that one i do uh track four roseanne i didn't really write anything for that one you yeah i wrote down after the songs before especially get gone like roseanne has the traditional gin tone back again in this song that's what i thought okay uh track five climbing rats walls it's a bit of a swing I thought maybe it was a Sabbath reference, like Rat Salad is a song, or like Behind the Wall of Sleep, but maybe uh, maybe that's a stretch, or maybe it's just a reference to Dave Ratman Levine, or maybe none of that. That's what I thought. I thought Climbing Rat's Wall was maybe about climbing up for his big stacks of speakers. Maybe, hey? Yeah. Uh, Track six, Watch the Tractor. So... Here's why everyone should follow us on Facebook, because way back when we we posted the Blasting Concept 2 uh, album, I had remembered that Joe Carducci left a big spiel on there, and there was some really interesting stuff in there. I actually just went to pull out the comment that I uh, remembered that he wrote about this one, which is, Watch the Tractors is Greg speak for Watch the Detractors. And he says, probably referencing me, as in Joe, or Raymond. But I got to thinking, like, a few different things. Number one, like, as uh, Sim mentioned in the interview, this was recorded in, like, December of 85. And Blasting Concept 2, Ryan, was SST 43. This is SST 61. Doesn't it feel like, you know, a lifetime ago that we talked about Blasting Concept 2? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and and this this track was on there. Doesn't that blow your mind? (laughs) I know. But Blasting Concept 2, I am I seem to recall, like, it was, it got the SST catalog number way out of order. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Because remember, the back of the record, the back of the record had a ton of stuff that hadn't even been released yet on it. That's true. Yeah, good point. Uh, and in that same post he made, there was a few other things that we never mentioned. It's kind of off topic, but I thought it'd be a good time to mention it. I think I mentioned on that Blasting Concept 2 episode that... Hit, uh, also in his book Rock and the Pop Narcotic, at least the updated version that I have, has uh, Raymond Pettibone's liner notes that he wrote for that album and also his, his cover art. And it has a thank you in it. And on this post that he did on our Facebook page, he breaks down the thank you list. So I'm going to give that to you right now. You ready? Always. Okay, so he thanks Regis and Oe Ginn. Don't have to tell you who that is. Spot. Raymond. Mon Paul. Yeah, Mon Paul again. Spot, Raymond. Verco Recording. 
are pressing plant and they kept pressure on Unicorn for unpaid bills, which helped us. Byron Coley helped us out before we could staff up. Walter Hurst and Max Abrams get a thank you. These were apparently Black Flag's lawyers. Uh, Robin Nagatoshi, who worked at Green World slash Enigma. And I know who Green World and Enigma are, uh, coincidentally, because I just finished reading this book by this dude, Brian Slagle. Uh, the book's called the F uh, For the Sake of Heaviness. And Brian Slagle is the guy who's run a, a label called Metal Blade for many years. And he also released the Metal Massacre series, which Overkill has a song on, No Holds Barred. Remember that? Yes. Okay, so he talks about Green World. They were a big distributor for his label, Metal Blade, and they started Enigma Records. Hmm. So this dude, Robin Nagatoshi, gets a thank you here. And the reason he gets one is because him and Joe, as in Joseph Pope, who also gets a thank you, both testified for Black Flag versus Unicorn. That's according to Joe Carducci. Right on. Joe Carducci. So there you go. I thought that was all interesting stuff that we should put on the record. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So watch the tractor. Great track for me. Yeah. Did we put that on the ballot result for Blasting Concept 2? Well, I hope not, because, uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to make sure that you can't, you, I, I know you like the song, and I, I don't want you to double ballot result me. Oh, what did we put? Was there a Husker Du song on that album that was unreleased? Oh, yeah, it was, Husker, it was a Husker Du song, never mind. First track on side two, Last Days of Being Stepped On. Do you know the band Watchtower, Ryan? I don't. Doesn't surprise me. Kind of a metal band, but more like a proggy metal band. Like, I whoa, wanna... whoa, whoa, whoa! What do you mean? Doesn't surprise me. Well, they're more—they're more of a metal band, or they come from—they often get associated with metal bands, but they're more like—they're more Rush than Queensrÿche, I would say. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh God, keep going. <laughs> Uh, you might like them, actually. They have a really good album called Control and Resistance. Do me a favor. Check that album out, okay? Watchtower, Control and Resistance. I want I want your opinion on it, what you think of it. But uh, they oh, use they use okay. a lot. The, the drums really remind me of that album. Really quick tom rolls. Lots of roto-toms. Yeah, that's what I wrote for this one. Roto-toms. Love roto-toms. Chapter 60. You love roto-toms? Oh, yeah. I love roto-toms, man. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 69 is the next track. We got some real serious slap bass going on. The Ginsinerator is back. And you know what this song reminded me of, Ryan? Here's another suburbia reference. Remember that scene in the movie when they're stealing food, when they're driving around in that car? Yeah. That, that's what this song reminds me of. The background music? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure the guy that did that is Alex Gibson, who was in The Bee People, too. So check that out. Add that, this song add just, that to I your just list. Wrote... <laughs> <laughs> I just wrote down Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay. The third track on side two, Lawndale Rock City. Another cool title. Pummeling Toms, and, and this is a Sim Kane showpiece for me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then the final, I guess, well, it's two tracks, but it's called The Fifth Force Suite. As a prog fan, and like a, you know, uh, that's either a nod to prog or like Sim's fusion roots because fusion bands did that too but uh i love this kind of stuff uh, so it's two sweets 
or two songs in the suite hypercharge which is like super chaotic and then the weight which kind of has this slower bass riff and then just builds up love it yeah so hypercharge the guitar playing kind of remind it was almost a bit meat puppetsy for me okay the weight is like i i can't recall whether it's like when they're going transitioning into the weight but that's where the big pick slide is yeah i love the bass strumming on it yeah it's great all the playing on this album is is obviously amazing as you said uh, andrew rice is also credited as bass osaurus and sampling uh recorded at hit city west by michael boshears i think we've been talking about him a fair amount lately i feel like yeah he's come up a fair bit cover art by Ke- ted connect who also did the painted willie cover art do you know what this is a picture of i don't it, it looks like a face though it does like wearing sunglasses maybe yeah maybe it looked more like like goggles to me or maybe like a superhero mask it's it's really hard to make out maybe you just came off a tanning bed they kind of look like tanning bed goggles it, <laughs> it kind of reminds me of like it has a comic book newsprint type of feel to it though which is kind of why i thought it looked a little superheroist yeah it also almost looks like max headroom to me or something yeah maybe maybe even when you're trying like i mean the back cover is basically i think it's the same image yeah gotta check out that ted connect you know and see if he's got other artwork out there because maybe that will actually help maybe connect the dots i never never thought to look it'll help connect the dots yeah man yeah are you ready to do the ballot result ryan so ready ballot result what did you pick honestly i picked the fifth force suite really yeah i loved it i loved it i loved how it just got all chaotic and and uh, i love the bass strumming at the end loved it all right i can get behind that what's next week ryan wait a second wait a second aren't you going for watch the tractor no i'm good i like the fifth force fifth you're good force suite i like it we kind of get to sneak two tracks in there and i like that that appeals to me yeah wait wait do you want to talk about the dead wax yeah lay it on me there isn't any <laughs> didn't think so yeah what's next week ryan okay it's sst 62 the soundtrack for love dolls superstar which is uh, a really interesting record to get into and uh looking forward to it hey everyone thanks for listening you can find us on facebook instagram twitter tumblr all at mojack pod we post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show our blog is mojackpod.com please check it out for some exclusive content If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.